this is Clint Evans. You're listening to episode 5 of the Pine Tar Podcast. Tonight we're going to talk a little bit of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. Got a couple good guests lined up for you that run parallel to that. Brewers are in the news right now because they signed, of course, what I believe the best possibly pound-for-pound player in the game, Christian Yellick, uh, to a very lengthy extension, the largest in team history, $188 million. Uh, you know, a few days ago, I, I put a tweet up on my personal account. I got tipped off to that about a month ago, and I didn't make a big deal out of it because, again, uh, you get some tips sometimes, and they they end up falling uh, a little bit shorter. Things just don't. Things are so fluid at the big league level. But I got a tip, probably late January, that the that the Brewers were going to look heavily into extending Christian Yelich. And uh, what I did instead of running with it, I went and I fed that rumor uh, to one of the Brewer sites that follows me, the editor uh, that follows me on Twitter. And uh, kind of just said, do what you want with this info. I've tipped him off before, like uh, when the Brewers were going to get new uniforms. And uh, tonight he's going to be a guest on the show. And we're just going to uh, we're going to also talk some baseball. So two guests tonight. We're going to kick things off with David Gasper. Uh, he runs ReviewingTheBrew.com. He's the editor over there. And then we're going to work into uh, some some good old fashioned baseball chat with one of the best baseball guys I know. I wanted to have this guy on as one of my primary guests of the Pine Tar Podcast because when I talk about somebody being a baseball guy, th- this is one of the guys I think of. His name is Rob Mish. Rob wrote The Last Natural, which was a work about Bryce Harper's collegiate career and really Bryce's entire amateur baseball career before he turned pro. Uh, it was a really easy, great read. It was really great, thorough work, which... Uh, Rob went back, you know, and talked to many, many figures from uh, Bryce's grandfather to his family members to his collegiate coaches and teammates. Um, I've talked to Rob uh, for for a number of years, and and he's he's also a Brewers fan by trade, but just a baseball guy, full of a lot of good knowledge, and really excited to kind of pick his brain. But I've got a good episode planned for everybody tonight. Hope you enjoy it. David Gasper, I presume. Yep, that's me. How's it going tonight, man? It's going good. It's going good. Been a good couple of days. Yeah, it sure has. Uh, congrats on that. I appreciate you joining the show tonight to uh, talk some Brewers baseball. So you're you're the editor over at Reviewing the Brew. Take me through and some of the listeners through you know your history over there at that site. Yeah, so um, I started writing there uh, in college as a contributor um back in about 2017 uh early in the 2017 season started uh contributing there you know not making anything and just kind of you know just writing stuff about the brewers and you know then i ended up uh, getting promoted to being a site editor um with fan sided um I, I went to the cleveland indians team site that we had for a couple of months um since there wasn't an opening with the brewers site but then uh, one popped back up, you know, one of the guys left and I took a spot back in June of uh, 2018 and uh, kind of helped take over. And, you know, since then it, it, it's been great, you know, past year and a half, you know, almost two years now being site editor of it. 
man- managing Twitter, writing writing the articles and everything. It's been it's been a lot of fun. I've had a, a lot of crazy articles, a lot of good times, and it's led to some uh, interesting places for sure. Yeah, so you've you've been at the game a while. Um, it's interesting. A couple episodes ago, I just kind of talked about I've written at a lot of different places and. It's nice to hear you land somewhere where, you know, you've got a true passion about the team you write about. You know, that's a huge, huge plus. And then to do it in the middle of that that uh, 2018 season where you guys almost took it all the way to the, the World Series, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it was crazy for sure in, in 2018. I mean, I mean, going through that playoff run and, you know, Twitter Twitter was nuts, you know, handling that, live tweeting the games and just, just everything that was happening. I mean, it was – it, it was truly a crazy time. I was there at game seven, you know, uh, game six and game two um, for that series uh, against the Dodgers. So, you know, it was it was kind of a disappointing finish there uh, in 2018. But, you know, it, it's been a it's been a really good ride. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm one of those guys that, you know, I, I love the game of baseball. And I think like the Brewers are a team that like they're hard to hate. I mean, they really are. Like, I, I think when yeah. you just – you don't meet many people that hate the Brewers. I mean, when the Brewers are good, I genuinely feel like the common baseball fans, like, you know what, that's cool. Like, that's a hardworking organization that, you know, kind of does things the right way. And, like, people are genuinely happy for them to, to see them do well. So, it's it's cool. And kind of following along those lines, we got the big Yelich extension this week. Yeah. I, I know uh, – I was really happy to see that. I know you were. And you wrote a really good article yesterday on reviewing the brew.com. You know, you talked about three takeaways. And I, you said something in the middle of the article that, that Yelich is a perfect match. Just talk through, you know, being a Brewers guy, why you feel that way. Yeah. So Yelich, I mean, coming out of Southern California, the Los Angeles a- area, um, and then playing the first few years of his career in Miami. You know, based off that, you wouldn't really think that Christian Yelch would fit well with a Midwestern city like Milwaukee. Um, you know, it just doesn't happen very often. But but really, personality-wise, I mean, Yelich is, you know, he doesn't play very loud. You know, in the sense no. he's not a big talker. He's not he's not really a show off. He doesn't really do the bad flips and and all the all the insane stuff there. Um, but you know he's he's humble. He, he's down to earth. Um, really strong work ethic. Very very motivated, and just his personality. It just it meshes with the the personality of the people of Milwaukee and, and Wisconsin, and really kind of the Midwest at large. You know he he really just kind of seems like, like a Midwestern type guy, just, just personality wise. So you know that that kind of fit with Milwaukee. Um, perfectly. He didn't know anything about the city when, when he got traded to the Brewers. You know, he he said he didn't know anything about <laughs> it, about the team, about the fan base. And, you know, in, in two short years, he's fallen in love with them. And I think it's just because just personality-wise, what, what they both value, um, it, it matches up so well. Yeah, it, it's – you really said it best when you said he, he doesn't play the game in such a loud way. You know, he – he just plays it with such a grace and humility. He doesn't, I mean, as insane as he is, he could certainly show people up. But, you know, I, I love the way he plays the game. He's a guy I would love to say to my son, you know, 
like look how this guy he kind of runs runs when he hits a home run with his head down you know that's the way you want to do it and you brought up another good point in your article that money wasn't everything to Yelich. I mean, on the open market, if he would have wanted to test it, uh, he certainly could have probably gotten a little bit more. And I know you and I were DMing back and forth when we were kicking around initial, like what we thought the contract could be, you know, a month ago, we both thought that, um, you know, things sounded a little bit light. What, uh, what do you think of the final number they landed on in, you know, it certainly allows them to kind of build a team around him. I mean, that's probably Christian's thought. Like, what would you like to see them do as a Brewers guy, like the next course of action, you know, using that money or just immediate course of action? Like, what do you think they need to do to kind of, um, you know, get things back to where they were in, in 2018 and, and when they had some of their top tier teams? Yeah, I mean, with that contract being what it is, I mean – it really does give the Brewers that, that opportunity to to sign more players around him, build a better team around Yelich going forward. And, you know, I think this offseason, you know, the reason they went short in, in free agency, signing most guys to one-year deals with club options, they, they didn't go, af- go after guys like Josh Donaldson, who could really help them win right now, uh, was because they had in the back of their mind that, that they wanted to sign Yelich to an extension and, they didn't know how much it was, it was going to end up costing them down the road. So until they knew what that was, they, it, it's hard for them to move on, on any other long-term things. But now that they have the Yelich deal out of the way, I think that'll allow them to be uh, able to to go after guys for on longer-term deals moving forward. And, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's going to allow them to go after a guy like Arenado or, you know, super big money like that, mm-hmm. but – it can get them, you know, some moderately um, real, like really good above average players to, to sign in free agency, you know, more guys like the Avisail Garcia type are mm-hmm. a little bit better. And, you know, for what they do with them moving forward, I mean, it's obviously too late now for this season, um, but you know, they're, they're going to have the ability to go out and get whatever guys they want it at the deadline um, with what their farm system can allow them to get. But uh, for next offseason and the future offseasons, how they utilize that flexibility, I think it really depends on how their young pitching staff uh, develops this year. You know, with, with Corbin Burns and Freddie Peralta as two guys who are currently on, on the fringe of the rotation but have frontline level stuff, you know, if they end up developing as and reach their potential, I mean, that, that could really kind of prevent the need from going out to get a, you know, an ace starting pitcher in the off season. So, you know, it really kind of remains to be seen. They're, they're mm-hmm. going to need to solidify third base at some point in the future. And, you know, they're, they're going to need to find some answers offensively at some positions, but, you know, they're, they're set at a lot of them. And if their young pitching develops, I mean, they're, you know, good to go and they can, they can afford a few luxury items um, if everything plays out the right way. Yeah, that's well said. You, you actually touched on a pretty interesting guy there. I didn't expect we'd stretch into Freddie Peralta talk, but it's it's funny. I mean, he can be a guy who I, I've turned him on before and he might last two innings, or he could be a guy that goes out and strikes out 15 if it's – what is this, change-up is working? Is it the change-up or – Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's got – he's adding a slider this year, and then um, I think it's really kind of been his curveball and, and his fastball location. 
Um, you know, he, he's got to throw his fastballs up in the zone. Um, when he, when he misses down, that's when he gets hit. Um, so, you know, when, he, when he's on, when, when Freddie is, you know, on his best stuff, I mean, he's got no hit type yeah. potential. And, Absolutely. and when he's, when he's off, when, when he's missing down, then it can be an absolute train wreck. I mean, it's really, <laughs> it's really kind of hard. And there's been a lack of consistency there with, with Freddie over the past year or two, which is why a lot of fans have been frustrated with him. But, you know, there, there's so much potential there. And with the addition of that slider that he brought in the soft season in, in winter ball, you know, if he can bring that into games and have that three-pitch mix, along with, you know, two or three different versions of his fastball, you know, he can be a, a dominant lights-out consistent starting pitcher yeah you're absolutely right David I mean these things happen every year in baseball where these you know relative you know to to outside the brewer sphere uh, unknowns you know these these pitchers come up and have you know a 16-17 win all-star season and they're just lights out it all, all it takes sometimes is like you said the development of a slider or a lot of times you hear they develop the cutter and, you know, Freddie's one of those guys I, I do feel like that upside is there if he ever puts it all together. So uh, I'm actually glad you brought his name up. And so I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. I know, you know, you've got to you kind of tiptoe the line of, 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 you know, being objective, but you, you're, you love the Brewers. What do you honestly, what's your gut tell you if you look into the crystal ball for the 2020 season, what do you see coming for, for this year for the Brewers? You know, I, I really think that, the, the Brewers aren't getting quite as much um, respect with their pitching staff. I, I think they're a little bit under the radar there. You know, I, I believe in the bounce back years for, for Burns and Peralta. You know, I, I think Hauser's going to be a pretty good starter. I think Woodruff is going to continue to pitch well. I love and, Woodruff. Yeah, yeah he's, he, he's incredible. I mean, he comes out first start of spring training pumping 98 miles an hour. I mean, he's mm-hmm. – you know, he continues like this. He's he's going to be a stud moving forward. So I, I really think that pitching staff is is underrated. Um, as as long as all those young guys are able to develop and and, and make progress this year, you know, I, I really think they're a strong NL Central contender. I mean, and and with the offense, I mean, you got Yelich in the middle there. You got Keston Hira doing what he does. I mean, that man can hit like no one else. And, I mean, you got a couple of really solid guys in that lineup. Justin Smoke, Evsel Garcia, Nervaez is, is a pretty solid hitter. Lorenzo Cain is finally healthy. Um, and so far this spring, Orlando Arcia has looked really good. I know he's been terrible offensively the past couple of years. Uh, he was the worst hitting shortstop in baseball last year. So, you know, he's made a couple of swing changes. He's changed his hand placement. Uh, he's calmed down his lower half. Uh, his leg kick, all that. So he's he's more on balance. He's more in sync and less likely to be late on pitches. So RC is a guy that I think could really bounce back as well. And they they've got so much depth with this roster yeah. that that they're covered yeah. if anyone goes down. Basically, you know. So if anyone in the infield goes down, they have someone to replace them. In the outfield, they got someone to replace them. So I mean, they're set pretty much everywhere i mean the ceiling isn't very high at at third base and you know probably first base as well but you know that i think they're an underrated team um going into this year simply because they just 
they didn't make a splash move um, during the offseason, just getting a couple of veteran additions around the fringes of the roster, you know, and not getting that, you know, established frontline starting pitcher. Um, they, get, they got a couple of solid guys and really kind of elevated the floor of their team. Yeah, I think you, you bring up a great point. I mean, the, the Central really is wide open. Like, no one knows what's going to happen in that division. Yeah. I mean, certainly the Reds made the most noise, and the Cubs have the veterans, but they're kind of in flux. I mean, it, it really is a wide open division. And, I mean, the bottom line is, like you said, you've got some upside arms, and it's really kind of hard to ever really – count out a, a team that's got uh, a Yelich and a Keston hero who I think is going to be a superstar within a matter of time. It's yeah. really hard to count a team like that out. And it's kind of ironic, David, like a few days ago, I looked at the Brewers roster before I did this show on roster resource. And I, and I texted a buddy and just that quick glance, I said, are, are the Brewers going to lose some games this year? And then I texted him right back. And I said, you know, on paper, they don't look that much different than a Brewers team that actually did quite a bit of damage a few years ago, you know? So it's this kind of your typical Brewers squad in how do you feel about council? I mean, I feel like he is a really, really good manager. Who's probably always going to get a little bit more out of a group um, than what they're even capable of. Do you guys kind of feel that way in Milwaukee about him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, council's a guy that, you know, he, he's definitely best suited to lead this team. He just signed a three-year contract extension uh, this offseason. Um, so he's going to be around for the next couple of years. And, I mean, Council, I mean, he's he's been in the organization as a player. He spent the past few years before he was manager as a special assistant um, in the front office. And, I mean, he just he, – he's a great guy to relate to the players um, down, down there in the clubhouse, you know, great players manager. He gets the best out of his guys. And, you know, he really manages, you know, a team that prides itself on depth and changing guys up ba- based on matchups and, you know, sends a lot of pitchers up and down and, you know, a lot of players in and out of the starting lineup. He, he manages all of them well. I, I think he plays, you know, the right guys most of the time. And, you know, I mean, obviously there are going to be some fans on Twitter that, that are critical of him, and, you know, that, that's never really going to go away. You know, everyone criticizing his bullpen decisions, whether it works out or not, you know, that, that's always going to happen. But overall, I mean, he's he's a great manager. He should have won manager of the year the past couple of seasons, um, mm-hmm. but he got snubbed, snubbed for him the past, like, two years, I think. So, you know, he, he's a guy that's definitely uh, loved in Milwaukee. Yeah, and I, I'll say this, like, I gained an appreciation for Craig Council. Like, uh, there's a lot of managers, I feel like, in the big leagues, maybe 20 of them, who I, I don't feel are true difference makers. But then in that 2018 NLCS, I watched how Council managed. And two things come to mind. I mean, the guy manages, like you said, full throttle. I mean, he really yeah. maximizes his his roster, and he's like a mad scientist. I mean – a couple of those games he ran out, um, I forget who they opened with, but they had the, I was covering the Dodgers at the time and they had the Dodgers in all kinds of confusion. And it was literally, you know, council yeah. maximizing his, his players of usage. And I'll tell you, I gained a real respect for him in that series because I'm not sure, you know, I, the Brewers were really good that year, but to, 
the way they took the Dodgers to seven games and easily could have won that series, um, he deserved a tip of the cap. And I feel like the more I watch him, I mean, I see him in the middle of June managing the exact same way. I mean, every single night the guy yeah. is just, you know, he's he's uh, he's keeping his his bench guys, you know, in the rotation, and he does a great job. Yeah, so I, I remember Gats. what game uh, you were talking about there. It was game five. He started with yep. Wade Miley, threw to yes, one batter, yes. and then brought in Brandon Woodruff. Um, he had John Smoltz confused. I mean, everyone was just kind of, what is well, happening here? And he, he actually he had he had Dodgers fans and I think you know their staff to a bit like terrified. Yeah, it's what like he was going to do. It's there. like what is this? Like, is he? He doesn't seem hurt. You know, like you're, right. you're planning this. Like, yeah, that that was crazy. Um, but I mean. Craig Council took a team that had a rotation led by Yolise Chassin and Wade Miley and got them to within a game of the World <laughs> Series. So if that's not great managing, I don't know what is. That's yeah. And I mean, that's honestly the beautiful thing about baseball. You can get a brilliant guy like Council who played and he played in those games, you know, with, with the Marlins and, and, and um, I think the Diamondbacks, right? And he, yeah, he's yeah. just able to take that and and put it in, you know, into paint the canvas with the guys he's got now at his disposal. Um, we're talking with David Gasper at reviewingthebrew.com. Give him a follow over at Twitter dgasper24. So I've got to ask you, David. Um, I've got my own opinion on it. What do you think of the Brewers' new threads this year? I like them. Um, I was at the uh, jersey reveal ceremony back in uh, November. Um, when they brought the guys out, Braun and uh, Hira, Suter, Woodruff, uh, all those guys kind of revealing the new threads. And, you know, I like them. You know, they they got the uh, the cream, you know, home jerseys, you know, replacing the home whites. Um, I think those look really clean. I, I really like their blue road alternates. Um, I think those were good colors. I, I was kind of hoping they'd go for a powder blue. Um, but overall, I think the look is uh, – it's really good. It's really clean and – you know, it really kind of in- incorporates everything from the past, you know, 50 years of the franchise and, you know, kind of takes them moving forward. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, actually. I, for all the teams that are, you know, switching uniforms and stuff, they're the ones I, I like the most. I think that kind of uh, has a classic look to it. I thought, I think the Brewers uniforms have always been pretty cool. Yeah. Um, but I really I, – I, I agree. I love what they did with them too. Um all right, just kind of wrapping up here. Tell me, uh, tell me your favorite Milwaukee Brewer ever and why. Oh man, <laughs> that's uh, really putting you on the spot. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of guys to go through. Um, you can you can give me two if you want. All right. Um, well, I mean Corbin Burns is is really kind of my guy right now. I mean, last year I predicted he'd win the uh, Cy Young. Um, that was completely off on that last year. Um, based on his performance but I mean he's a guy that I mean his stuff and and just kind of you know what he brings I mean he's definitely one of um one of my favorites on this team for sure and you know all time I mean there, I mean there's so many good ones from from the past few years I mean you got Carlos Gomez Nigel Morgan a couple of great personalities you got Prince Fielder uh you know, so many guys to to go with there. Um, they're, they're on your Mount Rushmore, then. Yeah, you got Niger on there. That, okay, all right. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, that. some of those guys are a bit more like you know, like Niger Morgan's kind of more of a cult hero um, for, for what he did in, in 2011. 
um, the personality that, that he brought to the roster. But, yeah, I mean, it, it was great having him. Um, Yelich, I mean, he, he's got to be everyone's favorite brewer at this point. But, yeah, I mean, a lot, lot of good ones from back in the day. Even when, you know, when I was growing up, I mean, they were bad when I was growing up. So it was – Same, same. Yeah. You know, I, I think the first year I remember going to games at Miller Park, it was like 2002 – when like Jose Hernandez struck out 200 times in a season and they lost a hundred <laughs> games and it was bad. Brings back memories of uh, what Jeremy Burnitz and Jeff Jenkins. Yes. Right? Those two guys. And <laughs> Richie Sexton. That, that was my guy. Richie Sexton. Super tall. Yeah. Richie Sexton broke uh, one of my old teammates basketball hoop dunking on it in Seattle. That was, that was how that's my six degrees of separation to Richie. Wow. It's uh yeah, yeah, he can he can dunk, but he he hangs on the rim. Mm, so yeah, fair enough. Uh, all right, so you did not mention um, you did not mention Brawny in those in those names. In is this Braun's last season officially? Um, not officially. Uh, he's still not sure. He said Braun has said that this might be his last season. Um, he doesn't know. It's the final guaranteed year of his contract. Um, and he's got, he's got a mutual option for next year for $15 million. The Brewers are going to decline that obviously. Um, and it, it kind of remains to be seen whether, you know, they'll bring him back or whether, whether he'll try to go elsewhere or if he just wants to, you know, finish his career as a, as a one team player. Um, you know, if they bring him back, it'll probably just be, you know, a couple million dollars, like two or $3 million or something like that. And, you know, he he could be a reserve outfielder or first baseman or something, but you know, it's it's getting towards the end for Braun. He realizes that, but he hasn't quite confirmed uh, that that it's his final year. Yeah. Well, I certainly uh, you know I wish you guys a, a great season. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. You gave us some good insight to people who uh, you know maybe don't have a, a great snapshot of the Brewers this time of year. You got to uh, come back on during the summer and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get caught up. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good, man. Bring me on. Uh, all right, David. Thanks so much for joining us. All right. Thanks for having me. Take- what's going on, Rob? Buddy, what's up, man? This technology is a whole new world for me. <laughs> you Holy did great. Fuck. You did great. You did great. I'm, I'm so glad you're on. So joining us right now, we've got Rob Mish. Uh, Rob covers college basketball and, and does features for a site called gamingtoday.com. He's written about college hoops for the Las Vegas Sun, CBS Sportsline, the Pasadena Star News, and he's also an author. He's an author of one of my favorite baseball reads, The Last Natural by Bryce or about uh, Bryce Harper. Um, if you haven't read it yet, you're a baseball fan, you're a Bryce Harper fan, go on to Amazon, find a copy. It's a it's a really good work as I talked about earlier in the show. But uh, how are things going, man? Out in Vegas, man, it's going pretty well. I'm I'm really uh, I'm knee deep in the college hoops and March Madness. I do a, a weekly column called the Gym Rat for Gaming Today, and that's a, a weekly publication that's in sports books all over the country that have legalized gambling. So uh, I just started that up this season. A good buddy of mine took over running that operation a couple of years ago. And I don't know if, if anybody, if there's any old timers out there who have seen gaming today from 
just even three or four years ago, it's just been transformed. It's very slick. And I, I don't say that because I joined it in November. It's just a great read. It's just knee deep in everything betting related. Yeah. And so if, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, if, uh, if you want some insights and maybe some, uh, some strategies, uh, it's, it's just a great around publication and i'm just so fortunate that in my column i'm responsible for four to five picks a week and i'm just so glad that i'm uh, i'm above 500 it's it's a little <laughs> bit above i think my record is something like 39 and 33 i'm just glad i'm not underwater my man it, it, that's the that's the key the only thing i could say that about in the last calendar years baseball it's yep. been uh it's been a tough year and, and <clears throat> i need to I, I'm on the site right now, GamingToday.com. It is a really clean, nice-looking site, and, and it just talks about pretty much anything that's got a line. There, there's, you know, Rob's articles and a few other feature writers. It's a really good site. Anybody listening to this that enjoys sports betting, and Clint, I gotta <clears throat> excuse me. I gotta tell you, Clint, that during baseball season, it's uh, it's just stupendous. It's you know, when, when I wasn't writing for it the past few baseball seasons, uh, it, it's just indispensable with the, uh, the statistics that are in there. For instance, you will get every week, um, you'll get the updated to the second charts, of course, up until publication day on how each team is doing at home and on the road uh, against the line. As wow. you well know, uh, with baseball, obviously, we're not talking about point spreads. It's not like you're going to get six and a half, minus 10, 110 both ways. You are going to be on the money line. And so on any game, if you like the favorite, especially at home, uh, you'll be given <clears> – <throat> excuse me, I got a couple Cheetos in me. Um, you'll be given minus 300, minus 400. I remember a few years back when Kershaw was sort of – at his peak, I, I, I hesitate to say that because he's just so damn good now anyway. But it wasn't that long ago when Kershaw at home was a minus 500 price. Right, so right. In, in gaming today, you're going to get week, weekly updates on how teams are doing home and, a row, and, and, and away. Now, I bring that up because I, uh, I did a big spread, which we have talked about for the Chicago Sun-Times for this Saturday. Uh, I took looks at the White Sox and the Cubs seasons purely from betting angles. And that whole package is in the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday. Uh, if I were to ask you what were the four ball clubs last season who turned in a profit both at home and on the road, who would you? Oh get? wow! I love that you put me on the spot with this. Um, yeah. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna say the Oakland Athletics. I'm going to say you tell me how many of the four I get. I'm gonna guess only four. Oakland Athletics. Uh, I will say the Los Angeles Dodgers. I will say the Astros, and I will say the Devil Rays. Did I hit anyone? Mm -hmm. You you got um, uh, who was the first one? I said the athletics. Yes, yes. Oakland Oakland was nice. was strong. Um, oddly enough, um, Minnesota was so extremely. As we were saying, lovely technology. 
No kidding, man. You there? <laughs> I'm there. You so to pick up where we left off. You were saying that that Minnesota was overwhelmingly a profitable team in 2019. Yes, Minnesota was uh, oddly enough. Uh, I, I and I got I finally got uh, the statistics out here. They were incredibly profitable at home, not on the road. Um, the four teams you got. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, the four teams are Atlanta, the Dodgers, the Yankees, and guess who the fourth was? Uh, it was Oakland, correct? The Chicago White Sox. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yes, yes. And so without, without giving too much of your column for Saturday away, and again, check him out, the Chicago Sun-Times, if you like baseball betting. He's rolling out a big article Saturday for, on the, featuring the Cubs and the White Sox. What do you what do you uh, what does your intel tell you about the White Sox for 2020? Because personally, I think they've got some upside. They have a lot of upside, Clint. Um, the thing is, the staff is a little in disarray, and and that's what I got from uh, a consensus of people who I consider very smart sports betters. They consider both the Cubs and the White Sox staffs to be in disarray. Of course, the Cubs staff averages 32 years, so uh, they're they're getting up there. That whole team is getting up there, but they also have uh, quite a bit of pop in that lineup. And with that yard, you never know. However, um, like like uh, like you said, you you were not um, that wasn't a bad call talking about the White Sox and their future. I just had more than a couple gamblers tell me. Yeah, we're high on the on the future, just not this year, next year. Okay. And okay. so and so I'm looking at <clears throat> I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm looking at uh, uh, so many. I have uh the the Superbook. If anybody ever gets out here to Vegas, you have to go directly to the Westgate Superbook. It's just fantastic. It's just the Taj Mahal of sportsbook. They have a uh, a packet of bets for the baseball season. It's 20 pages long. It's just anything and everything you would want in there. They have a bet in there. Will the White Sox and the Cubs both make the playoffs? No is a minus 800. Yes is a plus 550. Now, yeah. since 1906, both of those teams have made the same playoffs only once in 2008. So Wow. I had a lot of a lot of professional gamblers laugh at me because they pretty much told me straight up, and these are all good people. I've known them a long time. They kind of laughed at me, and I said, you know, hey, call me a greenhorn. That's okay. And they said, yeah, yeah, you know, the books don't exactly make bets that way. They don't exactly adjust odds that way or make odds that way. That's a history thing. And I had Dave Koken, who's been out here. Mm-hmm. He's four, 40 years making his living. Smoking, smoking Koken. Smoke and coke, and he 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 was very nice. He he could have dropped uh, some choice words on me, and he goes, he he laughed at me and said, you know, Rob, it, it's it just isn't done that way. Um, but I understand where you're coming from. Uh, if if I take that into account, and I take stuff like that into account, uh, it is minus eight hundred for both the White Sox and the Cubs to uh, either one of them to not make the playoffs, of course, because you're making a two prong sure. bet. You're sure. betting that both of them will make it. Well, <clears throat> if you're betting minus 800, that means you're laying 800 bucks to win a hundred dollars. That's mm-hmm. a, that's, that's quite 
that's 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 a that's an outlay. That's a pretty sizable outlay. But it's a hard way to make money that way. It is. But my reasoning is, if you have some disposable income, then this isn't exactly a bad way to go. Because let's just say you're whatever you you would bet into this, you're going to get back uh, a twelve percent profit after six months. There's nothing in the market that's legally going to pay you that. So no. even though it sounds outlandish, it's still a pretty good. Uh, Yep. Amen. So, and as you were saying, you know, 12% to, to land 12% on, on any return after six months, you know, if you've got some money, you could, you could make some money on a bet like this. Yeah. And, and I don't want to come off as a pro gambler. I'm not in any way, shape or form. I, I love the numbers. I love the movement of the numbers behind the numbers. I love how all that works. Um, I, I just want to make sure your audience knows I don't purport to be a professional better. <laughs> um, if, if I ever did, I would never go about it without a bankroll. If you're serious about doing this, you would have to have a bankroll. You would have to have, uh, uh, Put some money aside and, uh, you know, maybe earned yourself a little kitty on the side. Whatever that, whatever, whatever that amount is, you would stick with 1% as one unit. You would very, very rarely deviate from that 1% being your one unit. And that's the way you go about it. And there's other, there's other uh, uh, rules that you have to abide by. But that's the basic one. You got to have a bankroll. It's got to be one unit. You just have to have so much discipline. It's really, uh, it's neat to write about, but I don't have the makeup to ever do that. So uh, (laughs) I I applaud the people who can do that and who can make a living out of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, I wagered a heavy amount of what I made last year. Um, it's the first time I've ever done it, betting who's going to win the world series before the world series. And I felt great about Houston winning it all and I felt yeah. you know and and look how that turned out so it's oh. uh <laughs> it's never a sure thing but you you also touched on another great point the last time I was out in Vegas I really wanted to meet up with you and circle some baseball numbers and you know I went out there with my wife and she wanted to see shows and before yeah. I knew it we were flying home and I haven't been back out because I did a crazy thing and, you know, had a couple of young kids, so I haven't made it back <laughs> out. But yep. I heard that they redid the the Westgate, and it's, it's like you said, the Taj Mahal now. Yes, um, they redid it, let's see, two summers ago. So going into the football season two years ago, it was all refurbished and just redone, and it's just so nice. It's just it's just out of this world. If you've never been there, you got to spend a Sunday NFL day there, but really any day is just something to behold in there. Now, downtown, Derek Stevens, who is the mayor of downtown, he's refurbished a few properties and he's building a new uh, edifice down there, a 77 story circa. He has vowed that his circa property is going to be the king of all sports books. And uh, it's looking like it's just going to be, Everything he says it's going to be. It's going to be three-tiered. The huge screens are going to tilt inward for the theater aspect. Um, His Circa Sportsbook operations have already kicked in at the Golden Gate downtown and uh, another of his properties. So uh, downtown is going to be a must area very soon. That will open next fall. So Vegas is really on on the uptick. 
Well, I, I will make it back out there for for all the scores. I'll never settle, and we'll we'll have yeah. to meet up at that that three tier place. Uh, Absolutely, look at some baseball winners. Um, so you you said you're you know you're not a professional gambler, but you are in the you know that that's that's what you do. You write yeah. about gambling for a living, and you you certainly talk to some guys that like to bet on baseball. Have they mentioned any teams at this stage that uh, they do particularly like or see some value in? Yeah, I, I think a general consensus I got is that people are uh, are willing to put some money on the Rays. Uh, they are, I believe, now twelve to one to win the American League pennant, twenty five to one the, to win the World Series. That AL East with the Yankees and their pitching issues, yep. and yep. and man, that is just uh, that's a strong club. And you know they got Garrett Cole, and he's probably going to be all that, but that's just one guy. Uh, it's just amazing what's on their shelf, and and it's just amazing how Judge and uh, and the big man Giancarlo just they have they ever been a hundred percent healthy in the last four no. years? No. So uh, you look at what Tampa has concocted, and uh, you know there's some good value to be had there. So they they. Hey, Rob, are you there? Yeah. Great. Yeah, so I, I agree. Like, on the on the Tampa front, you know, you've got, uh, you know, a team that, you know, really is getting slighted in a way. I mean, they, they took the Astros to the wire last year, and the Yankees on the surface, they seem like the big bad team. But, it, you know, really looking beyond under the hood, you know, they've got some issues. It's not like they can't go out and get people, but – you know, as they sit right now, you know, they, they do have their host of problems. So that's really an interesting thing to file away that, you know, Tampa is yep. not to be forgotten about in that division. Right. Yeah, that, that pitching, boy, some of those pitchers are really outstanding, and it seems like they're just kind of coming into their own. So, uh, you know, it's something to, to watch because they could be putting something together that's pretty special and under the radar for sure. That's awesome. And so – you guys, you're a Brewers fan by trade. You grew up a Brewers fan, correct? Yeah, I'm from Milwaukee. Yep, that's what I thought. So you guys got yep. some good news this week. Uh, signing the largest contract in team history, Christian Yelich. Were you happy to see that? Yeah, I was. I was. It was good to see them, uh, the owner being bold like that, because that doesn't usually happen in Milwaukee and Smallville, you know, and in little podunk town like that. But uh, I was happy to see the investment. I think he's worth it. And I think uh, – We'll see, man. It's just they're up against so, so many. The, the arms race is just ridiculous, and uh, I'm not sure they have some pitching to contend with. But uh, uh, it's it's that's my team where it's tough to talk about them with not without the uh, without the heart being involved. You know, it'd be good to talk about. You just use your head and use your brains, especially when you're betting. But when when I see the Brewers logo, and I'm glad Miller is out of their uh, sponsorship because I hated that that swooshy M with the wheat shucks, and we're back to the ball glove and the M and the B in the baseball. Yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm glad I'm glad about that. And I might have referred to something earlier. Um, uh, I don't know. This isn't in reference to nothing. But we were talking earlier about my roots and everything. And man, yeah. I, my my home got burglarized seven weeks ago to the day and. Oh my whatever, gosh. whatever, whatever bastard came in here and they knew what they were doing. It was professional. I'll, I'll spare you all the details except 
they came in and they swiped my Hank Aaron Milwaukee Braves jersey and they took my uh, my authentic mil, uh, number nineteen Robin Young jersey. So that was the oh. yeah that was that was that was quite a hit and it's still it's still kind of fresh. Um, it was a it was a pretty difficult first month um, just living in here, knowing knowing uh, the place was so violated. Uh, but uh, just on a, a, a philosophical kind of mentality wise, I'm, I'm I'm doing a much better job with it. All the locks have been changed and everything, but uh, but boy, I'll tell you what, it's a spooky feeling to get to get violated like that. They were pretty smart too. They came in and ran right to my my little jewelry box. They took my late dad's uh, Rolex and they took uh, a little crystal ornament that was in a black velour pouch. It was, uh, and that, that ornament contained my dad's ashes. So they really, Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Yeah. There's nothing worse than a thief. I mean, that's the type of thing I've, I've I've actually had a nightmare recently about, and I don't really have nightmares. And and so I am, I'm very saddened to hear that. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, by the same token, if I'm going to tell you that little piece of information, I also must include the fact that I came home and I think they were in my office and were spooked by the garage door going up. And I believe and I didn't put two and two together until I got inside the house. But when I put my hand on the door of the garage leading inside the house, I'm not very religious, but something just froze me. Something absolutely profound came through and told me, listen, if you take two more steps, it's going to be your final two breaths. And wow. Uh, and it was, it was, it was one of the most profound feelings I've ever had in my life. And I'm pretty sure uh, when it comes down to the details of the chronology of, of events, I mean, down to the second, I believe that they were heading out my front door as I was coming in the back door. So I think I just narrowly avoided something horrendous. And, and that's a positive. So I was just so, going to say, you know, uh, so the loss of the items are obviously yes. horrible, but, uh, yes. you know, at least you, you are still here, here with us to, uh, you know, talk some baseball and, Absolutely. and and enjoy enjoy the sunshine out there. Yeah. That so that being said, uh you you know, you've got some LA roots like like Yelich who who moved to to Milwaukee. Yeah. You spent some time in LA early on in your life. Um you know, talk a little bit about that and you, you know, you covered some baseball out there. <clears throat> Absolutely. We actually moved to Ohio in Dayton when I was uh uh Oh my gosh, I must have been third or fourth grade. And so I have vivid recollections of the Big Red Machine in their heyday, uh, mid-70s, 76, 77, when they were just rolling. I remember George Foster hitting home run after home run. I, and I remember, I believe it was Marty Brenneman, who, who always kind of would remind you, and he hit that 500 feet with a 28-inch waist. I remember that clearly, <laughs> a 28-inch waist. And so... Um, we actually moved to uh, the Columbus area in Worthington for a couple of years. And then, then after my freshman year of high school, we moved to uh, an L.A. suburb called Diamond Bar. It was actually North Orange County. If people are aware of L.A., it's right where the 57 and 60 freeways meet. So I did a lot of moving around in my life. Uh, my dad was riding the uh, corporate ladder, and I finally settled down when I went to San Diego State. And so... Uh, that's why I studied journalism. I got out in 87 and I've been a sports writer ever since. So um, one of the uh, most heartbreaking sp- 
sporting memories I have is 1982, and it just, it's unbelievable to me in two years, it'll be 40 years since the heartbreak of the Milwaukee Brewers in 1982, but... The first time we ever talked, you you brought that up to me. Yeah. That's in your core. It's just, uh, it's it's a little dark piece of my heart, and that might sound funny and facetious, but my God, it is... It's the God's honest truth. And I don't mean to be too dramatic about it, Clint, but... Um, it couldn't be with me. I, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I totally and, get and, it. and the thing is, uh, it was almost as if it was setting you up for life. It was almost like, you know, guess what, kids? Stuff isn't going to go your way all the time. In fact, often it isn't going to go your way. Check this out. We're going to give you a swift kick in the crotch right here, and you're going to remember this the rest of your life. And I do. I do. Uh, 82, I remember, uh, I remember they were three games up in the AL East with four games left and they were going to Baltimore. So three up four to play and they lose the first three games and they weren't even close. So <clears throat> I remember that I remember game, the fourth game, it was a Sunday. And I remember uh, we were living in San Francisco at that time. I was in high school and uh, I remember going into the pier, going into San Francisco with a buddy because I couldn't bear to watch the game. But then everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, everywhere we'd walk, I'd tune in and, poke my head into a bar and see the update. And of course the Brewers wiped them out in that fourth game. Uh, Yount had two homers and a triple. Um, and then they squeaked into the playoffs and then they had their own thrilling comeback against the angels down two games to none. They came back and won three. Then they go to the world series against St. Louis. They win the first game 10 to nothing. And I'm thinking, Oh boy, this could be it. Then they're up three to two in the series. And I'm thinking really good thoughts. However, Raleigh Fingers can't go. He's got a shoulder injury or a, an issue. He's uh, he's on the shelf for games six and game seven. They lose game six. They wiped out. It uh, wasn't even close. And then in game seven, the bullpen let him down, and they lost game seven. So I remember that night listening to Sinatra, uh, That's Life. I remember listening. I, I played that song over and over, probably 50, no kidding, 50 times. Wow. And it just, it just, it just stung. Now I've lived here in Vegas for 18 years, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, Robin, uh, Robin, not, not Robin, you uh, Raleigh fingers lives in town. He's lived in uh, Vegas for quite a few years. I'm in a liquor store one day and I turn the corner and right in front of me is Raleigh fingers walking my way. Wow. I, see the, I see the handlebars and I stop dead in my tracks he stops dead in his tracks. I think he probably thought, oh, boy, another fan. I'm going to have to sign an autograph. But I just stood there, and I just slowly shook my head. And I didn't walk toward him. <laughs> and this was about three, four, five seconds. And he finally looks at me and goes, what's up? And, and I, said, I said, were you really injured? And wow. He goes, and he goes, what? And I said, 1982. You couldn't go in game six and seven. Were you really that injured? You really couldn't throw even one inning? And at that point, he was slowly backing up, and then he just left. <laughs> he just left? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, thought he, I thought he'd answer it. <laughs> that is a great story. Wow. Yeah. For those, cro- those passes across. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so anyway, uh, <clears throat> studied journalism at San Diego State. Uh, got out in 87. I toiled back home in the Diamond Bar, Diamond Bar area at a couple real little little crappy papers in that area in Pomona and Ontario. 
And then I got uh, a big break in August 1990 covering UCLA football and basketball for the Pasadena Star News. Now, uh, during that little stretch, uh, 88, 89, I would fill in once in a while at uh, Angels uh, with, for the Angels and Dodgers. And I remember one series, uh, the White Sox were in town playing the Angels, and it just, it just happened to, to unfold this way where I found myself sitting down right next to Carlton Fisk. And uh, we, are you there, Clint? No, I'm there. Yeah, okay, I'm great. So, so I'm sitting down, and, and, it's, uh, and it's Carlton Fisk, um, and we just ended up shooting the shit for five or ten minutes about the great 1975 World Series uh, with the, the Red Sox and the, and the Reds. And you might remember the, one of the games that went to extra innings and Bernie Carbo and the home run and mm-hmm. waving the ball fair and all that. And Fisk was right in the middle of all, all that. And just for about 10 minutes, we talked about the 75 series. Um, I wasn't taking notes or anything. We were just just making small talk. And I don't recall exactly what he said. That was a long time ago. But it was just such a highlight, just just sitting there and BSing with him about such a great moment. Yeah, I've got a mutual friend of, of uh, Fists out of Chicago, and he, he said he's just a pretty good, normal guy. Yeah. You know, he's, yeah. He's yeah. Pretty love good guy. Oh, so such history. Yeah, just uh, – Baseball, you know, they try to screw with it every year. I, I don't yeah. know when this started, but every single year they try to tweak it and screw with it. And it's it's as if they're trying to turn fans away annually. And I I just don't understand why. I don't either. They, why they don't just, just leave the cat in the hat, but they just have to keep tweaking it and turning fans away. You would think with all the strikes and all the issues, they would be doing everything they could to endear it to fans. But uh all that being said, I know we're coming up uh, <clears throat> excuse me, on the start of the season, but uh, I know um, every year they can screw with it however much they want. But on that first day of the season, man, it's just, you know, opening day. That's the word, yeah. opening day. It's yeah. always so special. I hope, uh, I hope it never gets to the point where that doesn't seem special. And it just, they, they sure seem like they're trying to just ruin it. When you say yeah, and, and the passion in your voice, you know, like I said, you know, you're you're a baseball guy, and yeah. the passion in your voice pretty much says it all. You're you're like I am, and uh, when you say they, I keep picturing Rob Manfred, and it, and I got to tell you, a guy like him, he's actually made me miss Bud Selig. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> yeah. I, I never thought I'd say that, but I but at least Bud left the game alone, and he's really the only commissioner that I can uh, really relate to. I wasn't really right. old enough for Giamatti. Uh, right. But, um, yeah, it, it's it's what they're doing, I think, is they're getting together in a room, and they're obviously a little bit tone deaf, and they're saying how can we attract the new generation of fans. But in the process, they're kind of distancing themselves from the client base, guys like us, you know, yeah. people like us who, who love it for what it is, you know. Yeah. And so there's a – there's an issue there with it. Uh, circling back real quick on, uh, you've mentioned your San Diego State roots. They've got can a can I, can I tell, Hey, Clint, can oh, I go tell ahead. you something real quick about, uh, quick about Bud Selig? Um, I, I, I know um, we, we, you were mentioning Manfred, and obvious, it's obvious now. You know, we, we, we have enough evidence that he is not a leader. He's not the guy for that post. We can, we can, we can bring up so many incidents, especially with the Astros, and just being so meek. 
how you don't punish those players is beyond reproach. It's just he is not the guy, and uh, the quicker he's removed, the better. But I, I think a lot of people are in agreement with you about Selig. I don't think Selig made a lot of fans. I have to tell you a Bud Selig story. And uh, Go ahead. That's it's, great. It's, it's a little, um, you know, obviously uh, uh, I'm – it's tough to talk without bias. You know, I'm a, I'm a little biased. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. My, my dad passed away about, uh, about six years ago from ALS. And when it was just such a hideous, slow dis- de- decline yeah. toward, um, it was probably, he had, a, he had probably about a month left to go in his life. He passed away in January, 2014. It was probably late November, 2013 when I wrote Bud Selig a letter and uh, obviously he's, his office was in Milwaukee. He's a Milwaukee mm-hmm. guy. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm writing him, and I'm telling him about my father, a Milwaukee person. So there's that, there's that angle that, you know, you can't just overlook. So I figured, you know, maybe if there's any chance that he answers my letter, he'll answer it because I'm a Milwaukee person. I didn't tell him what I do for a living in any way, shape, or form. I just very evenly asked him why with such a well-known person affiliated and attached to ALS as baseball's Lou Gehrig. Why is it that even if baseball is doing a lot and maybe they're doing a tremendous bit in that field of research, but why is it we don't know? Why, why is it I right. don't know what MLB is doing in, in, uh, to, to enhance the research and to get to the bottom of this hideous disease? It was about a three or four page letter. I hand wrote it. And again, I wasn't angry. I wasn't wimpy. It was all very neutral and straightforward. Of course, we're dealing with some Milwaukee people here. So I figured, well, if he answers, that'll be the reason he answers. <laughs> he wrote me back. And wow. he, he said that uh, you need to know that what we're doing with ALS, while it's not very publicized, that is not commensurate with what we're doing. And here's what we're doing. And he explained to me the depth of what they're doing with ALS research. And while MLB is so prominently and, and rightfully so involved with cancer, you know, stand up to cancer, sure, and all of sure. that, he's, he, he admitted that and he acknowledged that. And he said, but, but what we're doing with, with ALS is not a distant second. And I want you to know, I'm on my way out. I'm leaving this post, but until my last breath, I will make sure that we do everything we possibly can in the name of ALS research. So six weeks later, my dad passed away, and he wrote my mom a letter expressing his condolences to her about. Wow. Yeah. And I, the bud. And I have I have both of those uh, letters framed right here in my office. So yeah. What a cool story! And I'll tell you. Um, Although it was indirect, uh, you know, Peter Freitz, who went to Boston College in the Ice Bucket Challenge and, you know, some baseball roots there that got that going and got the awareness going. And and like you said, such a such a terrible disease. I think everybody at least knows someone that's that's gone through that. But to to watch a parent or somebody that close, uh, very tough thing. And but that that is a heck of a story. Yeah, I had to. I hope you don't mind. I had to. Oh, that. I love that's that. Just, that's, yeah. That's what it's all about, man. Um, yeah. And, and on, a, on a happier note, um, I'm told by some guys, again, college, college sports, especially hoops, 
I've learned are they get me into a lot of trouble. But I've been told by some guys that kind of you know dabble in it. They said that San Diego State right now is a they're a really good bet. I think when they told me they were like eighteen to one when I looked. What do you what do you think of them this year in the tournament? Yeah, again, man, I can't talk about them without bias. It's just it's it's, it's and, and I'll and I'll give you an even answer too, and I'll let you know on what I did. I I got a ticket on them uh, preseason, eighty to one to win it all. Wow, good and for you. Um, but but I sold it uh, about uh, uh, probably about five weeks ago. I sold it on PropSwap. Um, okay, it's uh, what what we're entering and what we're seeing in the gambling world is just, you talk about a brave new world. It's just incredible what's happening with sports betting in this country as it becomes legalized in state after state after state. It's, uh, it, I think it's going to be astounding what that uh, landscape is going to look like in two years. But as part of that brave new world, prop swap started out uh, yep. probably about a year and a half ago. And uh, my latest book came out in October. It's called sports betting for winners. And I really had a lot of fun with it. I had a quick four months to turn around from nothing to a 300-page manuscript, and it was really a test. Uh, I could not have attempted it unless I had lived here in Vegas for, at that point, 17 years, and uh, unless I had three books under my belt, because both those were vital to being able to turn that around so fast, and I'm really happy with how it, how it, uh, how it turned out. Uh, one of the chapters in there is about uh, the two guys who started PropSwap, now, I can make a bet today on almost anything. I can make a bet on a uh, basketball game tomorrow. Uh, during the NFL season, during the week, I could make a bet on an NFL game coming up on Sunday. I could take that ticket, and I could turn it around and sell it on prop swap at what would likely be a happy medium between right. me, me making money and the buyer getting an advantage against what the current odds are. Yeah, it's kind of like the it's kind of like the eBay market of, of yes, yeah. So I, I got yes. offered uh, a buddy that sits next to me at work last year. It was probably August, and he said, "What do you think?" And the prop swap was uh, a pretty good payout if Javier Baez won the NL MVP. Yeah. And and at that point, it was kind of a wide open You know, you had Yelich, you had Bellinger, you had Baez in the mix. Yeah. And I said to him, I I was I was tempted to go in have these with him, and I just said, I. I, I don't see it, man. Just with the way the, the Cubs are going, I said I, we got to pass, and we did. And luckily, we we avoided that iceberg. But yeah, it was when PropSwap puts something out there, it's always uh, it's always tempting to look at. Right, and of course, uh, you're in Ohio, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, I'm about you, ten minutes from Worthington. As we as I wow, said. Okay. I went I went to Worthington High School, my freshman yeah. year of high school. Yeah, you told me that. Yep. Yeah, um, I had plans of going right down Olin Tansy River Road, studying architecture at Ohio State. We yep. up and moved to L.A., and it was the culture shock of my life in yep. every every way you could possibly imagine. All you have to do is is recall Spicoli from Ridgemont High. <laughs> that is Los Angeles. And the, the lingo threw me off. The drugs were just everywhere. It was just so, well, you, so you, weird. You lived in L.A. during a, a pretty interesting time to live in L.A., you know, when you moved out there. And yes. It's funny. When when I was covering the Dodgers, I'd go out there and I'd be hanging out with people, and and suddenly they would say, "You're not." They, they would say it just like this. They would say, "You're not L.A." Yeah. I'd say, what, I'd say, "What do you mean?" And they'd say, "You're just you're just an easygoing guy." You know, like they would. I forget what they would say, but you know, they could tell I was from the Midwest. You know. And, well, and the, uh, and the point there is, you were trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably right. And I was plus the rental car they saw me driving, but uh, maybe. 
that being said, did you ever cover Loyola uh, during no. the Hank Gathers years at all? Even as like, no, 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 I had a good I friend didn't. that coached on that team. Oh my so. God! I just I just saw that thirty for thirty last night, and it was so difficult to watch yeah. without shedding a tear. Oh my yeah. God! Uh, but the reason I brought up uh, to, just to confirm that you live in Ohio is because. Uh, the prop swap states are interesting. It's, it's, you know, I'm in Nevada, so I can obviously put a ticket up for sale. You obviously don't have gambling in Ohio, so you don't have access to being able to buy a ticket, put it up there, and make a profit out of it. You're mm-hmm. on the back end of buying. Right, right. You're not exactly selling it. So um, uh, being in Vegas and especially living here so long, I've, I have learned some just hard, fast rules. And when I bought that ticket for San Diego State at 80 to 1, uh, I did it with the, the biggest intention was I'm going to make a profit on this ticket. Somehow, somewhere along the line, I'm going to make a profit. And, of course, they just started rattling off 10, 12, 15, 18, 20 and 0, 23 and 0, 25 and 0. And so uh, once, once uh, uh, I put that thing on PropSwap and I made almost five times my investment. And I said, That's you know what? Awesome. I, I am out to make a profit. I'm not here with my heart hoping they can win it all. I'm just out to make money. So um, as I say, I'm not a professional. I'm not very cutthroat. But when I do participate, it is a cutthroat action. And I do, you know, it's all about making a profit. That's the whole point is making a profit. So, yeah, it was, it that's was a good awesome. turnaround. That's awesome, and I'll uh, you know I'll be rooting for him a little bit. You know, even even though the ticket's gone, just because yeah. that's your sentimental team, I'll well, I'll see, pull, see, pull Clint, from Marsh. And the thing is, Clint, the thing is, as you well know, and I and, and I know we will get to this. Uh, they're such a minnow. You know, when you're dealing with the Power Fives and the big boys, a little school like San Diego State, for them just to get to the Final Four, that in and of itself is like winning the title. Right. That does so, make them a forever team. In, in yeah, and so, right, right. And so I don't kid myself about that. Yeah, they're doing well. They, uh, I, I chart 24, I chart about two dozen uh, categories twice a week. It's an exercise that takes me about four hours every time I do it. And I've, ever since I got the gig with Gaming Today on the College Hoops column, I've done this just to immerse myself in the numbers and to make sure I'm well-versed on who's doing really well and who's doing really crappy. What I chart is uh, the top 10% and the bottom 10% in these 24 categories. That way, if you're really, really good, you're going to show up in multiple categories, and that's going to resonate with me. Same thing at the bottom end. If you're really shitty, it's going to resonate, and I'm going to see you in multiple categories, and I'm, and I'm going to bet against you, and I've, I've done really well doing that. Um, but my point is since December 11th, there have only been two programs in the country that every in every chart since then, twice a week since December 11, only two schools have been in the top 10 percentile in both offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. What are those two schools? I don't know. Duke and San Diego State. Oh, wow. And so when people say, oh, they're fly-by-night, they're in a crappy conference, blah, 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 I just point to the numbers and say, wait a minute, look at this. They are elite with Duke. Um, and so, you know, if they get to the Final Four, I think they will deserve it. They've got some guys in there, especially they have a point guard, Malachi Flynn from, from uh, Washington State. He is just fearless. And they got a couple other guys like that. So, 
if they get there, they will have earned it, and it will be fun watching them in the tournament for sure. Yeah, it's, and, and the thing I like about the NCAA tournament most, it bleeds nicely right into opening day. It, 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 once we've made it to the tournament, we've basically made it, right? Absolutely. And one, one other thing, one other thing to throw in, in case anybody's listening to this who's interested in college hoops, what the national people never, ever, 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 ever talk about with San Diego State. They like to take their jabs. and oh, it's a little school in San Diego from a crap conference. What they never take into account is in the Mountain West Conference, you are dealing with a lot of altitude issues. New Mexico, Wyoming, Utah, uh, and that never gets talked about. And when, when you can win at altitude on the road, that takes a lot. And for the Aztecs to be undefeated in their conference on the road, that's a big Gusty thing. team. Gusty yeah. team, yeah. Yep. No doubt about it. Yep. Everybody gets sucked into thinking that, you know, the, the only time you're playing at altitude is, is Denver. And what I've learned from betting the NBA is you can almost take advantage of that, you know, in Utah. You know? Yes. So you bring up a really good point. And, yep. and I know there's a lot of people that – Baseball guys like to bet like to bet basketball, so you bring up a great point there. Um, bridging back to baseball, uh, a guy that uh, that you know well is actually popped a few homers the last few days. You yeah. like to call him. You used to like to call him thirty four. Yeah. Uh, Bryce Harper. What? Uh, what? Do you, what? Do you, have you talked to Bryce at all in the in the recent years? No, I haven't. Uh, we don't have any relationship. In fact, uh, I think it's safe to say that he and his parents hate me, and that's. <laughs> That's really? okay with yeah. That's okay with me. Um, uh, for people who are joining this who might not know, my first book was The Last Natural, yes. and it really it really documents. Well, not really. That's kind of a stupid word, but it documents the the kids' season at the uh, junior college on the outskirts of Vegas. Here, he left uh, Las Vegas High School after his sophomore year to get his GED, so he could play at this junior college with a wooden bat and get drafted a year before his high school class graduated. And just everything they mapped out came to fruition. And it just, I thought about that uh, when he signed with Philly, Clint, because you could go back to his move to the College of Southern Nevada. And that's why they started the uh, clocks, you know, rolling Mm -hmm. way back when, uh, so that, uh, for that contract. So he'd be ready for that uh, unrestricted free agent year, and he hit the lottery. It's amazing that, uh, you know, in life, it, it rarely works out the way you hope or think it'll work out. You can map out your next 10 years, and that's just an act of folly because it never goes that way. There's always hurdles. There's always potholes. But for him and his family, for that to all come true, and, and you could – you can mock him for reasons and you can dislike him mm-hmm. for other reasons. But the fact is he's busted his ass and he hit the lottery and um, he's now a family man. He's got a son. And yep. uh, I'm glad you brought that up, Clint, because I got him at 30 to one to win the home run title this year. I, I expect a big rebound year out of him personally too, especially in the power department. Um, yeah. It, you know, he didn't have a bad year by any means last year. Very productive. He just, um, you know, people think about that contract and stuff. Um, right, right. And, and, he, and he's also comfortable. He knows the environs. He knows the uh, the stadium. And the biggest thing of all, he's now playing for a former Yankee manager, Gerard. Yeah, yeah, that's going to help. And, and I wanted, I did want to ask your opinion on another thing. Do you think yeah. he likes? Do you think he likes playing in Philadelphia? I, I think so. I do think. As well versed as he, he must have known what he was getting into. He had to have known that those are the people who booed Santa Claus. He he had to have known that. Um, but 
he still did it. He still went there. I'm surprised. You know, we can go back to that uh, off season uh, last year. Um, it, it really surprised me that he went that route, uh, Clint. I thought if the Dodgers and the Giants offers, if those offers were true, if both of them were offering him, say, four years at 160, if, mm-hmm. if, in, if in fact that was true, well, then he gets to stay out west. He gets to, friends and family can visit him that much easier. He can enjoy the west coast. He can gamble on himself. If he does well for four years, and he probably would, it's, it's not that outlandish to think that, hey, maybe he'll be in line for another four years, 160. Let's just mm-hmm. say that's what maybe could have happened. Well, if he does that, he is now at eight years making roughly what he's making in 13 years in Philly. Sure. So you're looking at five years of gravy. Now, I'm just looking at that in a hardcore way, but you can't tell me that Boris wasn't looking at it in that way. Well, um, absolutely. And, I, and I, what I was told was that Bryce was on board to sign with the Dodgers last minute. He was at odds with – this was told to me by a neighbor – of, yeah. his par- of his parents, he was at odds with Boris down into the final hours, and somehow Boris convinced him because of the length of the deal to sign with Philly. I heard even Kayla, his wife, did you know she wanted him to play somewhere in California, right. and, and and didn't wasn't real fond of of Philly. And uh, yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think Boris did the the master sell job that he's he's famous for doing. Well, and now that you say that, it, it rings a few bells. That that sounds in line with a few things I heard, Clint. And, uh, uh, you know, that was Boris being strongman, Boris being Kingfish, the, the most uh, important guy in baseball, arguably, who Bryce was with from the get-go, who was giving him information when he was in junior college, do this, do that, say this, say that. And so it stands to reason why, okay, here's the 11th hour, and you're going to go with what this guy says. And, of course, Boris, uh, for what, maybe a week, Boris held the title of, hey, my client is has, has, <laughs> has the biggest contract in baseball. Well, you, know that funny? Doing it. you know he was doing it for personal reasons, and hey, sure. for him. And, and as well as it guaranteed Bryce income, of course, it guaranteed Boris income also. So... Yeah, and then Mike Trout came back over top, and for once, things didn't go as, as Bryce planned. He was only the, the highest-paid guy for a week, as you said. Exactly. And now, yeah. you, you, you probably did this too, but I, I took some of Bryce's numbers, and uh, I uh, I did some modern analytic BS with a calculator trying to figure out, okay, if Bryce is worth 330 uh, for X years for having produced this, then what is Trout worth? Oh. I came up. I came up with a figure, and again, to, to keep it even over 13 years, at uh, 800 million. I knew you were going to say 800. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I had in my head. And, and on, yeah, it, it's funny to think that Mike Trout's at a an almost 50 percent discount, but that's what the, oh. that's that's what the guys tell me. You know, the no guys doubt. crunch those numbers. And, no doubt. And now I say I say that uh, I'm sure I'm not high on the Christmas list of Bryce or his parents because in the book. Um, we, we may have discussed this before, but it, it bears repeating for people who are listening to this who might not know this, that uh, uh, early on when I was writing that book, I, 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 uh, I had a real difficult decision. And it was, in real time, it was very difficult for me um, because 
I think I was hanging around with that team for the better part of two or three weeks. And uh, I, I got to know them. I got to listen to how they talk and what they say and how they say it and all that. Knowing how many little kids look up to Bryce, my, big, my biggest problem writing that book was do I quote him how he talks? Because when it comes down to it, he's like any other ball player. He yeah. drops yeah. he drops f bombs every other sentence. He's sure. out there having fun, just bsing, yeah. and uh, uh, he bleeds. He's just a person like the rest of us. And so exactly. my 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 conundrum was: Do I quote him how he talks, or do I do I mitigate that knowing? how many little kids probably are going to want to read this book and not necessarily little kids, but uh, yeah. you know, older grade school guys and, you know, early in high school and stuff. I mean, it's pretty raw language. And, sure. uh, and I thought, I really thought hard about that. And, and, and I came to the conclusion that, well, if I alter that, then, then what else would readers think that I have altered? And yeah, you did your journalistic, you know, you, yes. you told the, you told the truth. And, right. Um, I, I decided that what I yeah. see and what I hear, I am not going to alter in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, I let so it that's, that's the story behind then why why that uh, they they're at odds with you then is just that simply that. Yeah, that's that's one of the reasons, and I think it's maybe one of the biggest because um, I don't mean this in any derogatory sense. Sure. But Bryce is a very devout Mormon, and yes. with that comes. Uh, a lot of responsibility, and that's how the language comes into play. He he didn't like uh, being represented like that, but I could represent him in no other way than how he represented himself. And so yeah. it's a bunch of full sor- circles there and maybe catch-22s, but uh, I just wasn't going to toy with that. And if they can't respect that, then that's totally fine with me. I don't care. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, that, that kind of rubs uh, against, the symbol he wants to cast and sure. uh, say la vie. There's nothing I can say about that. <laughs> right, but, right. But well, I, I, I remember I, a few years ago, Rob, uh, he appeared to be, you know, and again, I, I played baseball my whole life. And, yeah. and, and when I played, we chewed tobacco. And it, it appeared that he was chewing tobacco and people and people took notice of it. And people were saying, you know, hey, you're, you're a devout Mormon. How are you doing this? And yada, yada. And, it, to me, it's no big deal. And and uh, Bryce came out and actually had to address it and say, "Hey, it's it's not real tobacco. It's mint leaves." You know, right. uh, and so so yeah, th- that kind of falls in line with what you're saying. He's he's under that microscope because of his beliefs and stuff. And uh, that's that's very interesting. And 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 his beliefs are strong and true and genuine mm-hmm. and authentic. He is he is an upstanding guy. You know, along with a guy like Trout. I think they are rare. I think they just come along so infrequently that they are upstanding people who you can trust with giving hundreds of millions to, and you damn well know they're going to represent yep. you and your city and your club the right way. Yep. And so yep. that's that's nothing less than admirable. And uh, we've seen in his career, too. I, just, I can't believe it's been 10 years, Clint. Um, it have, makes me feel old. <laughs> oh, my Lord. And we have seen instances of him. Uh, you know, obviously going back with uh, Papelbon and Cole Hamels and stuff. We've, we've seen incidents, but his involvement is always, uh, is always after something's happened to him. He hasn't instigated a lot. No. 
you know. So, so you know, as far as standing up for yourself, even in San Francisco with the reliever that one time, you know, Absolutely. he's going to stand up for himself, and, and yeah. I applaud that. There's a lot that I applaud about him. Me yeah. too, and, and I'll, I'll share some. You know, uh, my daughter, I liked the way Bryce played the game when he came up so much that my daughter is named Harper. Wow. I named, Okay, I, my, well, her mom wouldn't go for Mickey. I wanted to her after me. So, <laughs> so I put that in as a middle name. I I couldn't slip it in yeah. anywhere, but so yeah. but the mo- mom liked Harper, so I went with Harper, and and I liked I and and I'll say this about Bryce, like I don't like a hundred percent of the things he's he's done, but I do yeah. like two things. I I love the way he loves the game, and I and I really like you know I believe he is a good patriot. He loves this country, and he. Yeah. And I respect that a lot. He stands up for for that, and a lot of yeah. guys don't. And and so um, to this day, you know, when when he comes on, my daughter looks and says, "That's who I'm named after." And you know, I can <laughs> I can hang my hat and I can be a little bit proud because I do. I love the way he still he'll still grind and grit and get down and dirty and and and, and I like that about him. You know, despite the uh, you know the bits of controversy he's went through, right. But, that was a great book. Um, I talked a little bit before you came on about how uh, one thing I loved about it is you went and you interviewed, you know, you talked to his grandfather, you talked to his teammates, you talked to, you know, several coaches. You were right. very thorough in putting that together. And um, that's a unique piece of work. You know, it, there, there's, there's, there's just only one guy who had that perspective in, uh, of his amateur baseball career, and that was a, a really neat snapshot for me to get to read. I think I read that during maybe his rookie or year second season, and yeah. my memory is so good that I remember you actually were the first person to kind of predict the the monster contract that he would sign. I know you, I think you said ten years, uh, three or four hundred million to the Yankees, but right. you were you were not far off all yeah. those years ago. Yeah, that was that was in fact. Uh, I remember doing a, an interview with someone at the. At the it was a Washington yep. uh, radio station. That's what it was. I almost wanted to say post, but no, this was on radio, and it was yep. very odd, Quint, because they didn't want to talk about the book. They wanted to zero in right away. They wanted to ask, okay, when this contract's up, what's going to happen? Where's he going to go? What's it going to be for? And I said, I said, holy, I said, holy bleep, guys, you know if I. You know, I live in Vegas. If, if I knew those answers, I'd be out in the. In the if I knew the, if I, could, if I could foretell the future, I wouldn't be talking to you. I'd be in the casinos yeah. and I'd be spinning, you know, water into wine. Right. Uh, I have no clue. And then that, that's when I just started saying, you know, ten years, four hundred million. I don't put that past the Yankees. And it's ironic that yeah, now he's he's he'll be playing for a, a Yankees manager for sure. Um, uh, I I owe it all to uh, Tim Chambers, who was the coach of that yep. team, who. Who um, unfortunately passed away a couple months ago? Um, Did he really? Wow! Very, very, very sad. He had a, he was, uh, he was a really broken person, and by that I mean um, he had a lot of back issues, a lot of surgeries. It seemed like he was always having a procedure. Um, he he played the game hard, and he he played life hard, and that came with some broken bones and uh, he actually was having a foot surgery. And from what I was told, it was not a, uh, a very complicated procedure, but of course surgery is surgery. And when you are cut open, you're cut open and there's not, never ever anything minor about that. And he apparently had this foot procedure and it was maybe uh, 
two or three nights later, and uh, it was a blood clot that ended his life. Uh, you know, yeah. and it's it's sad for me to hear that because through reading your book, and I remember him well. He's a prominent character in that yeah. book. Uh, I felt like I knew the guy and yeah. his passion for baseball and uh, followed them a little bit following reading that book. And he, he was, you know, a real grinder uh, for he the was, game. He yeah. was in his life. He had, he had a very tough, hard life, Clint. Uh, I wrote about how when his father passed away, he was at the funeral. And before any of the uh, ceremony got started, he demanded that they open the casket so he could make sure the SOB was in there. Wow. He had to wow. make sure. He had to yeah. make sure that the torment of his life would no longer torment his life. And so he never had it easy. He had a very difficult family and it wasn't just his father and it was just just horrendous. The the the, the first chapter and the last chapter of Tim Chambers' life is it's really tragic and it's really sad, but I got to tell you, man, I got laid off from the Las Vegas sun in December. Oh nine. It was December one Oh nine. And I had been laid off before. And so I knew the golden rule. That's something good. If not real, very much better would be right around the corner. And so I, I took that tack and less than one month later circumstances, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you the circumstances, but there I am over at, uh, at the CSN for, uh, you know, their season was just starting, and I was doing this little magazine article for a new magazine starting up in Vegas, and uh, it was about Bryce, but I never talked to Bryce, and I wanted everybody else to talk about Bryce for this just real little magazine article. And Chambers kept telling me, this has never been do done before. This will never be done again. That's why after two days of interviewing people, I'm, I'm right where I'm sitting right now, and, and I'm replaying the tape, and I'm, I'm hearing Chambers telling me, it's never been done before, and it'll never be done again. I called him right away, and I said, Skip, if you think this is going to be such a one-off, should every day be, be documented? And he goes, get your rear end down here tomorrow morning. Um, I, I don't think I slept that night. And, uh, I, and the team I, did their part right yeah. down to the end. Well, right? well, well but, but the very first, how this happened was just, you know, I got down there the next morning, and walked in his office, and he didn't even say hello. And he said, he said, what are you thinking? I said, Skip, sh should every day of this be chronicled? He goes, what, like in a book? And I said, yeah. He goes, it's all yours. You're in the dugout for games. You're in the coach for road trips. It's all yours. And that was a long time ago. People might not remember this, but he was keeping 60 minutes that day. He wasn't letting Oprah or anybody come by. Nobody had access to Bryce Harper. And here, yeah. I had access to him during games. So that's how special it was. And he believed in me as much as he believed in Harper. And I got to tell you that um, I did not have a signed contract with a publishing house until January 11, 2011, a full year after I started covering that team for the purposes of doing a book. But I believed in it because Chambers believed in me. And lo and behold, that in that decade, I wrote four books. And none of it happens without Tim Chambers. So I don't mean wow. to bore you and go off on. No, Tim. no. I, 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 owe, I owe a lot to Tim Chambers. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, it makes the hair on my neck stand up when I think about how what happened 10 years ago and, and the, the incredible opportunity he gave me and uh, the trust he had in me. So it, it, the book is about Harper, but it's like you said, it's about a whole lot more. And Harper, couldn't have done it without every single one of those teammates. Right. That's why 
I'm so honored to be able to tell their stories also because Bryce couldn't do it without them. And they were, they were every bit as part of the, of the picture as he was. So it was just so special. Every, every time I see uh, Donnie Roach's name kicking around in the big league yeah. about your book. Yeah. And Hey, I got to tell you real quick, Clint also, um, before we hang up, I'm going to send you a copy of uh, a hardback copy of the Harper book. I'm also going to send you a copy of the new, uh, sports betting book, sports betting for winners, and you can give them out to your listeners however you want. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. I would okay. I'd love that. And, and uh, you know, I could sit here and, like I said, I could pick your brain all night about you, you've got a wealth of baseball. You'll have to come back on this spring or summer, and, and uh, we'll check on some betting lines. Oh, man, we can talk forever. I know it, man. It's a lot of fun. And, it is. Uh, once, I really once appreciate you, your time. Once, once you reached out for me, man, I just uh, I didn't didn't hesitate. And you ever need anything, you just holler. You know how to get a hold of me. Yeah, brother. Well, hey, keep keep uh, keep smiling out there and uh, yep. keep doing the great work. Uh, been talking with uh, Rob Mish, great baseball guy, great hoops writer. Uh, we really appreciate having him on, and and we'll talk again soon, Rob. Thanks, Clint. Thanks so much, buddy.